0: We have NL versus Joseph R. Biden, Jr., in his official capacity as president, and others. Here first from Mr. Bernie and then Mr. St. John. Thank
1: you, Your Honor. Good morning. May it please the Court. Uh, Andrew Burney on behalf of the United States. The District Court's nationwide injunction against implementation of Section 208 of Executive Order 14008 should be vacated or at least narrowed for three principal reasons. First, the Executive Order itself is plainly lawful. Second, the individual lease sale postponements at issue were also lawful. And third, the district court's justification for imposing nationwide relief in particular was patently deficient. Turning to the first issue, the executive order itself only directs a pause on new oil and gas leasing to the extent consistent with applicable law. The district court did not meaningfully engage with this lawfulness constraint and neither plaintiffs nor the district court have persuasively explained how the executive order can be unlawful when it instructs compliance with the law. This is not a case like the Ninth Circuit's decision in San Francisco versus Trump and other decisions where courts have struck down presidential directives with similar consistent with (coughs) qualifications. In those cases, there were no circumstances in which the directives at issue could be applied consistently with the law, so the courts could only give effect to the directive by essentially rendering it a dead letter. That is not the case with Executive Order 14008. Um, We think Interior's discretion under Oxla and the MLA are quite broad, and I'll perhaps get to that this morning. But under any possible interpretation of those statutes, there are numerous circumstances in which the executive order can be applied lawfully. We detail several on pages 12 of our reply brief. So just to be clear, we don't think the executive order is reviewable for the reasons we lay out in our briefs. Plaintiffs themselves admit that it's not reviewable under the APA, and we think it's clear that plaintiffs sought a preliminary injunction on their APA claims, and the district court, in fact, reviewed it under the APA. We also don't think that uh, this is the type of claim that is uh, reviewable under an ultra-virus theory as articulated by the Supreme Court in uh, Franklin versus Massachusetts and Dalton versus Spector. But even if the executive order were itself reviewable, it is plainly lawful. So that leads me to the second point, which is that the individual lease sale postponements at issue were also plainly lawful under the MLA and OXLA. So I'll turn first to the MLA. I mean, just as a general matter, for all the reasons we set forth uh, in our brief, uh, there's no evidence that Congress in 1987 intended to displace the Department of the Interior's long-standing discretion, recognized by the Supreme Court, to decide whether to lease. Um, The legislative history of the statute, in fact, shows precisely the opposite. Indeed, the the 1987 House report accompanying the amendments in our brief, House Report 100-378, states directly that the quarterly leasing mandate um, is subject to the Secretary's pre-existing discretionary authority. Um, We think that's directly on point. But we actually don't think the court necessarily even has to reach these broad issues in this case because, the first quarter postponements were not postponed because of the executive order. They were postponed because of a need to comply with NEPA, which uh, the district court uh, certain, um, and, and plaintiffs have never contested. The BLM has the authority, indeed the obligation, to do. Um, and I also don't think there's any doubt that the record shows this was, in fact, the reason. I would, in particular, direct the court's attention to pages 1011 to 1012 of the record on appeal. Uh, this is a, contempor- a memo contemporaneous with the postponements in Colorado, Montana, Dakota, the Dakotas, Utah, Wyoming, setting forth specific NEPA related reasons for those postponements. Another memo on 1013 to 1014 addresses the NEPA problems that necessitated postponements uh, in Alabama and Mississippi. Um, There was also a postponement in Nevada, but that merely continued a postponement uh, that started with the prior administration. And it was, uh, as we point out in our brief, and is uh, reflected at uh, page 989 of the record uh, on appeal, it was made and the decision was made and posted on BLM's website before the executive order even issued. And this is um, in addition to um, the NEPA-related explanation that we provided with a declaration with our preliminary injunction opposition at pages 986 to 991, setting forth the specific NEPA-related problems that led to those
0: postponements.
1: So um, these individually self-postponements were plainly lawful, as was the executive order itself. So on the onshore side, um, there was no no um, justification for the broad executive order that was issued, or indeed, even a narrower um, injunction. And as to the offshore postponements, these two were plainly lawful. Uh, the district court held categorically that any delay um, or cancellation of a, of a potential lease in a five-year program was a significant revision of the program requiring resort to program-like procedures. Um, that's, we think that's clearly wrong. First of all, Oxlist Text um, does not provide any support for such a categorical rule. So what do you ask
2: this court to do?
1: So, I, I think, I think what, what, what we would ask the court to do is to say, uh, first of all, that the inj- is to vacate the injunction on the grounds that the executive order um, itself, even if reviewable, was lawful. And that um, the even and that the individual lease sale, um, the individual lease sale postponements were also lawful I, on the MLA side. They weren't even taken pursuant in the first quarter pursuant to the executive order. And the offshore um, lease sale postponements uh, wouldn't support the broader injunction the district court entered. But in any event, were also were also lawful. Um, just to. Um, uh, if I could, just speak to the district court's justification and then explain why we think those uh, postponements of lease sale 257 and 258 were lawful under any uh, plausible theory.
2: Um, so it, let it, me ask you a question. Of certainly. About, uh, how long a pause does it take before you have a significant uh, alteration in the, in, the, in the congressional plan? Well,
1: Your Honor, I mean, I think that I think that I think that has to be analyzed according to the individual actions the agency takes implementing the executive order as applied to particular lease sales. Certainly, um, we've never contested that if plaintiffs believe that. Um, that the Department of the Interior is required to hold a particular lease sale at a particular time. They could always bring a suit under Section 7061 of the APA to compel particular lease sales. We think they wouldn't prevail on such a suit because the statute provides significant discretion. But that's the option. But I think the focus of the court's inquiry here were um, the actual steps. And we don't dispute that on the offshore side, steps were taken to implement the executive order. The actual steps that the Department of the Interior took that the injunction found we think wrongly were unlawful. And that's the postponements of these sales 257 and 258. just, I, I do want to make just. I just wanted to note the uniform practice that we outline in our briefs, where under administrations of both parties, it has been routine for individual lease sales, uh, proposed lease sales, not to be held for various reasons. Um, I would also point the court's deten- attention in that regard to the relevant language in this particular five-year program. I think in determining whether there has been a revision, let alone a significant revision, it's significant what the program actually says. And what, if you look at the program, the program says a couple things. First of all, at um, pages 1333 to 1334 of the Record on Appeal, it expressly says that um, lease sales will be subject to a rigorous um, uh, rigorous predecisional process, will require 15 steps uh, up to um, as three to five years to complete, and it expressly refers to the proposed leasing areas, um, I believe, I don't, um, it's as, as the areas available for leasing consideration. And then at page 1391 of the record on appeal, it expressly says that the secretary may reduce or cancel lease offerings on account of climate change in particular, which is the subject what of— What, your view,
2: was a, the effect of the 1987 amendment? So, I
1: mean, we say a few things about that. First of all, we think that under under all the parties' interpretations, it uh, it allows and indeed requires what BLM what we what BLM actually uh, the actual grounds for the first quarter lease sale deferrals. It, was it, to the it,
2: on its face, it it <clears throat> seems it shifted to a more mandatory uh, 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 command shift to a command uh, to to lease. So there, there is,
1: there is a quarterly lease sale provision, Your Honor, but I don't, we don't think, um, even though we don't think the court necessarily has to reach that
2: issue well, here. What was the effect of it?
1: We, we think that, that like other mandates within the MLI before and after 1987. Now what was it, the
2: effect of the 87 Act?
1: Uh, the, the effect of the 87 um, act is that when uh, when BL, when BLM makes the decision to make lands available for leasing that it holds leases quarterly but it doesn't as the house report makes clear it doesn't um, it doesn't change the anti BLM's antecedent discretion to decide to offer lease sales. Uh, in the first place, but even if you look at the language of Section 226B1A, it mandates quarterly lease sales only where um, only where uh, BLM buys, finds areas eligible and available for leasing, and does not provide any restrictions either in that language or in the legislative history as to how, um, as as to when BLM must find lands eligible and available for
2: leasing, and of course but there could be a quarter quarters could come and go where there is no lease sale and that wouldn't be a violation of,
1: of- No you're not your honor and I mean that, that has happened I mean under so in the second quarter of 2020 there were no there were no lease sales. And there have also been many, many quarters where there have been no lease sales held in particular states. I believe Georgia for example, Georgia and West Virginia, our, uh, plaintiffs in this case I believe there were no lease sales uh, held in either of those two states throughout 2017 or 2020 um, Texas for the states of Louisiana Texas and North Dakota um, I believe from 27 to 2020 um, I don't think this I'm not sure this is all on the record but there are there were lease sales in only four or five uh, quarters uh, during those years so I think it is common for lease sale for BLM to decide not to hold sales for a variety of reasons, um, we cite in our brief the example of a, of a sale postponed in uh, early 2020 because of workload and staffing considerations under the prior administration, and um, so there, there is no evidence that uh, there's no evidence that Congress intended in 1987 uh, to alter uh, BLM's pre-existing discretion that had been recognized by the Supreme Court in Udall versus Tolman and we think that would have been a major step for Congress to take, and there would be some evidence that Congress actually intended to alter that longstanding feature of the statute. In this uh, legislative history, the House report says precisely the opposite. Um, we think that's more or less directly on point in saying that uh, Congress intended the quarterly lease provision to um, work precisely the what way a fact you say it was. It,
2: what effect did it have?
1: We think that the quarterly lease provision uh, d- directed, like other mandates, that once uh, le- uh, w- when BLM makes the antecedent decision to lease, that it uh, that it uh, should help hold leases at least quarterly. But in any event, the first quarter lease sale postponements were postponed because of NEPA reasons were lawful uh, under any plausible interpretation. Um, if I could just turn briefly. Um, Briefly to, uh, and as, as were the offshore sales, I think that under any plausible interpretation, these were temporary postponements um, of two potential lease sales, only one of which was at a particularly advanced stage of consideration. Um, given the language from the five-year program that I just, uh, that I just discussed, we don't think that was a, a revision of the program at all, but it certainly was not significant revision, uh, particularly when BLM, ha- or excuse me, uh, BOEM has never resorted to program-like procedures to uh, postpone or even cancel lease sales throughout the 44-year history of the uh, of the five-year program provisions. Um, I did want to talk briefly um, about the nationwide injunction aspect of this decision. Um, we think it's clear for the reasons in our brief uh, um, and this court's uh, decision that we discussed in our reply brief in Louisiana versus Becerra narrowing a similar nationwide injunction, that there was no basis for the nationwide uh, injunction that was issued here. Um, the district court's analysis in this issue was only three or four sentences, and it cited a generalized interest in uniformity, which, as this court explained um, in Louisiana versus Becerra, would be a justification for nationwide relief in more or less any case involving the government. And um, it's plainly uh, insufficient here. Um, I would also just note on that point I mean, several states in which first quarter sales were postponed Colorado, uh, Nevada uh, um, opted not to challenge the leasing uh, activity here, and several, two, um, at least two other states, North Dakota and Wyoming, brought their own challenges uh, in separate forums. So, um, this case, there was no basis, we think, um, for
2: so the report. Other- Another question about the statute: uh, We have a the a, a question of what is a the, under the five-year plan that, with its four-step uh, procedures and processes. You you have the the question of <clears throat> of a, what is a significant change that is that you may revise and approve. Um, But if you make a significant change, then you have to go back through the four-step programs again. So what, what is a significant change? So, um,
1: so I think so. So one example of an and, and I, if I could, I'd like to answer this question, and then reserve the rest of my time for rebuttal, if that'd be satisfactory to the court. So, I mean, one example of a significant change, Your Honor, would be the change identified in uh, <coughs> Interior's 1996 opinion that we discussed in our. I'm
2: sorry, slow down a little
1: bit. Oh, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I get that a lot. Um, one example of a significant change, I think, would be the example identified in the 1996 Department of Interior M opinion that we cite. In our brief, which is which is adding any sale that was not set forth in the proposed program, I mean that's consistent with um, the statute itself, which I think at 1344 D3 says no lease sale can be added if it was it's for an area that was not part of the five-year program.
2: So In terms of our analytical framework, they, given the language of the, of the order itself, uh, the executive order itself, that insofar as nece- pauses insofar. Far as is it's, it's legal to do so permissible to do so you know this it doesn't ask you to change to, to change any law so the inquiry is just what what can be done and what is prohibited the pause says pause but but in conformity with the law and the it, it, traditional language that's not new language and it, it's, it's a kind of a, it's a, so, but uh, the framework then we ask is okay. What is it? Uh, what would be the a, a, a legal impediment to it?
1: Right. So, just I mean, on the executive order, yourself on the executive order yourself uh, itself. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, it's a it's a generalized directive to uh, to to the agencies to effectuate the president's policy priorities, but only to the extent the law permits it to do so. Um, as to you know, what would be a significant change, I think uh, um, adding a sale would be. But I think um, the, the broader questions, um, w- what, but what is clear is in that in the 44-year history of these programs in which Interior, um, and the numbers from the Congressional Research Service article we cite are, are quite striking, lease sales frequently are not just postponed, but not held for, um, for every five-year program. And so Interior has never considered that to be a significant change. We don't think this case requires the court to expound on the outer limits of of Interior's authority to deem a revision non-significant. We just think the postponements here are clearly consistent with the relevant language of the five-year program and are not significant uh, in any event. Um, If I could, I'd like to reserve uh, the remaining time for rebuttal, unless there are other
3: questions. Please the Court, Scott St. John, Deputy Solicitor General for the State of Louisiana, and 12, 12 other plaintiff states. History rhymes. In the 1970s, as the agency would have it, Congress was unhappy with the Secretary of Interior's exercise of discretion, and passed OSLA in a time of geopolitical instability, disruption of foreign oil supplies, and skyrocketing gas prices. Congress was concerned with increasing reliance on foreign sources of oil, but specifically found that increasing reliance is not inevitable, but subject to significant reduction by increasing the development of domestic supplies. Congress stated that resources on the outer continental shelf should be made available for, quote, expeditious and orderly development. And according to Boehm, meeting energy needs is a primary purpose of the 1978 amendments. Accordingly, the secretary shall prepare and maintain an oil and gas leasing program. That's 43 U.S. Code 1334. Make no mistake, this is Congress exercising its Article I power to direct the development of a national resource. The Mineral Leasing Act is no different. In 1987, Congress added a shall. There shall be quarterly sales plain plaintiffs' stakes think that is clear. But any ambiguity on that point has been resolved by the Secretary of Interior herself. In 1988, in response to that statutory change, the Secretary promulgated a regulation stating that each proper BLM state office shall hold sales at least quarterly if lands are available for leasing. That's 43 CFR 3120.1-2A. And you see that. That regulation
2: recited again and again and again. Let the me, documents ask, you, let me ask you a question about the use of the pause. This is not the first time this has happened. Um, what do you say with a uh, we've got in response to Justice Rehnquist's view that with a change of administrations, um, there, there inherently should be a right of the new administration to uh, to take hold and to survey. Uh, at, at the outset, the, the pause that he, as he contemplated was perfectly proper and made perfect, made sense in, the, in terms of uh, accommodating our structure and changes of administration. Two points, Your Honor. One,
3: uh, subsequent to Justice Rehnquist, that we have uh, FCC v. Fox and Encino Motor Cars. And what the Supreme Court has said is that, of course, an agency can change its mind. But when it does so, it has to grapple with its prior findings and has to give
2: a reasoned decision for the change. And just a change in administration is not a reasoned decision. So what do you... <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what you're saying. The, the, uh, you're saying that, that a change in administration has no effect uh, in terms of the, of the power of the, of the administration to, to slow things down, if you will, uh, so that it can, can, can look to, deploy its policy views with regard to development, such as environment. They may have a heavier accent on the concern about about the environment versus the business, exploitation, et cetera. Uh, Those are the kinds of inherent political kinds of questions, and the new administration will say to accent and go in a different direction in terms of accent, and they, they have an opportunity to do so. But then the question becomes, wherein does it become at what point does, a, does that, that pause become illegal, uh, violate the law? In other words, all they'd ask you to do is, uh, is, to, uh, is to slow it down so they can e- examine their, their, how, what changes, if any, they want to make to it, uh, but in conformity with law. So, that, so that's, my, that's the question, where, in, where in did it become illegal?
3: Why don't we zoom in on the microcosm, we sell 257. There was a time specified for the sale. There was a what was going to be sold. That had been specified. That's in the rule of the record of decision. And there were various findings supporting that, including extensive analysis of the greenhouse gas issue, climate change, if you will. The administration could, in theory, change its mind. But what it had to do was grapple with those prior findings that prior analysis. It, they, what, the, what the administration cannot do, what FCC v. Fox and Encino Motorcars forbid, is just to come in and say, I've changed my mind. The end.
2: Well, you're well, basically, you're saying that that some of these processes, uh, some of these leases were already out of the barn, so to speak. They were beyond uh, recall by any branch of government. Uh, the, the Congress had said that, and to the extent that you attempt to recall it when they're out of the barn, meaning that, that the, the Congress has already you're violating the legislative mandate. So your argument, ultimately, is they're violating the legislative mandate.
3: Yes, Your Honor. If Congress set up a machine, and the machine. I understand is a, is a machine, machine, the machine,
2: the, the four-step process, and the, the question of, of, of how we fit a significant change, which, which would to require you to go back through the four steps again.
3: So on the question of significance, you know, one, the plaintiff states disagree that it's a one-way, one-way ratchet where uh, a addition of a lease sale would always be significant, but the withdrawal would not be. We don't know why prior lease sales have been withdrawn. I give my colleague credit. He just says reasons. Those reasons aren't in the record. And presumably, there was some type of rationale given to comply with the APA but that's not what happened here. On the significance point, there's a separate issue with you run into it in NEPA pretty frequently with cumulative impacts, right? Doing one thing may not be a problem, but doing one, two, three, four, five does make it a problem. I think you would see the same thing with significance.
2: Well, some of these, as I read the district court order, were required to go to, 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 to care forth the lease that had not been cleared by the, by, Passed the basic environmental test.
3: How
2: do you justify that? Are
3: you referring to the land side
2: leases, Ron? Yeah, I'm I'm referring to the fact that as I read these materials, the the effect of what you're asking for is that that you would, what the district court did, is what I'm saying, not you. (laughs) What the district court here ordered effectively was a a sale of land uh, lease, if you will, uh, that had never been cleared, uh, received a basic uh, examination uh, under the environmental
3: uh, provisions. No, Your Honor, that's not correct. The Certainly, lease sale 257, I mean, there was a an environmental impact statement at the programmatic level, and there was a separate environmental impact statement for the individual lease sale uh, or environmental analysis. On the shore side, there were, the, the district court acknowledged that there was a mixture of cancellations. Some appeared to be on the basis of environmental issues. And that was classically the case. You would see a record of decision saying, the District of Idaho has entered an injunction that would cover this lease sale. Or the District of Montana uh, has entered an injunction against a related lease sale that performed the same analysis. So for that specific reason, we're going to delay this lease sale for additional analyses. That was some of the first quarter landside leases. The second quarter cancellations or postponements Call it what you will. There's an email from uh, it's, uh, Laura Davis, who was the deciding official, saying, I'm telling everyone to put the word postponed on the website uh, so that we can comply with the executive order. It, there, there was that's, that's if, you look, if you parse the district court's opinion carefully, that's why he said there was some evidence of environmental cancellations that were legitimate. There were some on the land side that were purely, this is postponing, just pointing a finger at the EO. And that's not an administrative record at all. I guess a subtler point on your significance question, Your Honor, is significance itself is judicially reviewable. The solicitor for the Department of the Interior opined as much. So there has to be an administrative record. And he cautioned that, that there needs to be an administrative record on the significance determination. Right back where we started, here, there's no administrative record. So it's a reviewable issue. That's certainly reviewable, but there's no record to review, so it's per se arbitrary and capricious. Continuing on your significance inquiry, Your Honor.
2: Let me ask you a question about your standing. Certainly, Your Honor. What's the standing of uh, Louisiana here?
3: Louisiana receives tens of millions of dollars a year from these lease sales. It receives that that funding in in three buckets, if you will. There's a a bonus when the lease is first sold. There's ground rent. So just like if you were renting a house, the leaseholder pays rent every month to the federal government, and Louisiana gets a check, big check once a year. Those things are not going to happen for a lease sale that doesn't, doesn't occur. And then you get royalties, the state gets royalties on the back end. And so there, there could be no doubt that if a lease sale is not held, the bonus payment's not going to occur. And then if it's postponed, there'll be a delay in the ground rent payments. And the district court noted that.
2: Of course, the delay here's the delay in getting <coughs> the, On, the,
3: on the, the related issue, is that even, even the plan itself acknowledges the impact to the state's economy, to employment, both the plan, the five-year plan, and the, the record of decision for 257 you know, identify impacts, and that was one of the considerations it balanced. That's what should have been done if the administration wanted to change its mind, but that was not done. Continuing with the significance, Judge Graves, I think you hit on this a little bit with my colleague. You know, what, at what point does a, does a, a pause become something bigger? I think here we have we actually have a, a little window into that, having in a couple of ways. Lease sale two fifty eight. It wasn't a rescission of a lease sale. That was just a, at a draft environmental impact statement, soliciting public comments. That was halted. That's a halt to the machinery for leasing. That's not a particular halt to a particular lease sale. That's stopping the machinery. As to whether it's ongoing. April 20th, White House Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy. President Biden remains absolutely committed to not moving forward with additional drilling on public lands. The challenge we face is that we had a court that ordered that a new lease be done. We know there are laws that were written decades ago that challenge our understanding now of what the key issues are moving forward. The climate is certainly one of them. Certainly the White House Climate Advisor is telling the public that, hey, this this is a bigger halt. How far does the halt extend? On May six, the Congressional Research Service issued a report. For the first time in history, there's going to be a gap between five-year plans because the administration has made no progress on the next five-year plan. The current five-year plan expires at the end of June.
0: Are you saying there's an overall five-year plan versus a three-to-five-year plan with regard to some land that's been identified for sale or lease? So just an overall three to five year plan.
3: There's an overall the statute comprehensive plan. The, the statute requires a five year plan uh, that generically, in the way it's been done, is it generically identifies when and and put largely where the sales will, will occur. So, for example, it might say in 2024 uh, there'll be two sales. One will be for the western Gulf of Mexico. One so the will be, trigger is
0: once the lands have been identified
3: yes i mean the, the, the land it, it, well the, the five-year plan identifies like a broad area of land and then the subsequent record of decision will be more specific and say okay these are the specific parcels so if you look at the 257 record it i mean it's pretty specific that hasn't happened so the plan i mean there will be no we talk about 40 something years of experience something that's unprecedented for the first time there will be no five-year plan on time there will be a gap The administration
0: has halted the machinery. Mr. Mr. St. John, the Supreme Court in the Northern case said before we can compel agency action, you must identify a discrete duty that the agency has to apply. I I don't see any discrete duty that's been uh, formulated here.
3: A couple of points, Your Honor. One, the statutes can be looked at as a machine. Congress set up the machine to run. What's happened is a brake has been put on the machine. You're not having to compel anything in particular. You remove the brake, the machine should start running again. Two, certainly with respect to OSLA, uh, it calls for expeditious and orderly development, quote, as rapidly as possible. Those Those are in the context of that statute. Those are commands. MLA, similarly, there shall be quarterly lease sales. That's a command. Uh, it's an unqualified command. Whatever discretion has been there is, it has been channeled through statutory requirements. So for the agency to unwind what was done in the past, it would have to go through those same way, those same statutory factors at Section 18 of OSLA. So I think you're really hitting on two points, Judge Dennis. One is the There is the statutory shall, the affirmative command, and then two with respect to the specific projects. It's the break has been applied without complying with the, with either the APA or the statutory
0: refusal to comply with with those uh, principles. You haven't shown any discrete duty that the agencies haven't uh, performed or complied with. (coughs)
3: Your Honor, I I respectfully disagree. The secretary shall prepare and maintain an oil and gas leasing program to implement the policies, end quote, of OSLA. That's 43 U.S. Code 1334. That's a pretty clear command to execute. The the statute lists policies and then it commands the secretary to prepare and maintain uh, a program for expeditious development of the Outer Continental Shelf. I mean, those, those are very clear commands.
0: So what have they mean? been met? Yeah. Have they, haven't they been met?
3: My apologies, are Your Honor. In,
0: have they refused to do what they're supposed to do?
3: Yes, Your Honor. I mean, there there is no five-year plan in development. That's would be the kind of the, the bigger picture. Uh, Certainly, 257 was rescinded without complying with the APA. That was, as Judge Higginbotham said, the the horse was out of the barn at that point. Uh, Recalling it would be difficult in the extreme. Uh, And then the machinery has been shut down for 258 and for the five-year plan.
0: I I, want to make sure I'm I'm hearing you correctly. So you you said there's no five-year plan in development. Correct. Are you saying... There is no
2: five-year plan. The current
3: five-year plan extends through
2: June 30th,
3: and then it will expire. That's the five years will be up. Okay, the, so there is
0: a five-year. Plan. There is your, There is a five-year. Plan. It has not yet expired.
3: It has not yet expired. All right. The problem. The, I guess the, the next problem is that there. After that, there is no. The administration has not developed the next five-year plan, so there will be no more lease sales or at least as far as we, you know, that, that's kind of a statutory void. What do you do when the administration doesn't develop the five-year plan?
2: But you want to get ahead of everything. And, and,
3: uh- well, we we want absolutely want the lease sales that should have occurred, 257. I mean, it, it was halted without complying with the, the basics of, of the APA. There was no basis to halt that. But then we also, these plans take a year or two to, to develop. And so, you know, when when... when as a pilot, you've got to stay ahead of the airplane. If, if, if you're reacting to where the airplane is now, you're flying into the ground.
2: Well, I understand that interior has counseled only two individual sails, not moving from plans to sails. Those are, those are on diff- somewhat different paths, parallel paths, but they're on different paths. Uh, they, they, the Gulf of Mexico and the, uh, the Cook Inlet, <clears throat> is that correct?
3: Yes, Your Honor. Again, it's the machinery that's been stopped. Uh, a couple of quick points in closing. Uh, reviewability you know, this, this was an APA case. We moved for preliminary junction on the basis of the APA. The district court, in the opening paragraph of its order, said, I'm reviewing.
2: Uh, uh, one quick one do you defend the nationwide? There?
3: Yes, I do, Your Honor. The APA says an action shall be set aside. It doesn't include a geographic limitation, and here there are separate issues. For example, if, if you have leasing in the Gulf of Mexico, the way it's divided under Comisa, I mean, Florida is not a part of this case. Well, Florida is impacted by what what goes on, and you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess where you know up the East Coast, where you have multiple states bordering a sale. How how do you piece this out on a state-by-state basis. Reviewability, the fact that the president's executive order may have been reviewed, incidentally, and that's Chamber of Commerce v. Reich. We cited it in the brief. The, The government is inviting a naked circuit split with the DC Circuit. I see that I'm out of time. If there are no further questions, thank you for your time, Your Honors. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. I'd just like to make a few narrow points and then some broader thoughts. First of all, Judge Graves, uh, just to correct any confusion I may have caused, when I said three to five years, I was referring to um, what the, the program says it will often take to go through the process to issue leases that are set forth in a five-year program. So that pertained to the leasing stage. Um, just in terms of the finality of lease sale 257 and 258, when um, when uh, Interior took action, uh, Judge Higginbotham, just to clarify, um, Least cell 257 was was not out of the barn, I think, were, were in your words. It's true that a
2: record of decision was I, I, I said I've tried to frame the question.
1: <laughs> right, right. So it's true. So the the, the record of, of decision was a NEPA document. It was selecting the BLM's preferred alternative under NEPA. It was not itself sufficient. It was, I think if you look at the five-year program, it was step eleven out of fourteen or fifteen steps to issue a sale. Among other things, the final notice of sale was never published, so um, the Department of the Interior would not have been required to go forward with that sale um, if it had just done nothing. It issued the record of decision, frankly, as it made clear um, in the Fed reg notice to clear up confusion, to make clear that it was uh, reconsidering the sale. So we don't think that that decision was final, and lease sale 258. was certainly not final, so I don't see how um, it could, simply canceling a comment period, which is all uh, uh, the Department of Interior did here, could possibly be a final agency action subject subject to the APA. Again, plaintiffs can always bring a uh, Section 706 suit to compel agency action unlawfully held, but here um, such a suit would plainly fail, given that um, there is a longstanding history of Cancellations, but certainly postponements for a variety of reasons. Um, I did just want to. Um, Mr. Mr. St. John um, mentioned second quarter lease sales. Um, the second second quarter lease sales were, uh, were were postponed as well. But uh, that that was done on I believe April twenty third, which was after the complaint here was filed, which is outside the scope of the complaint. If you look at the document. Um, if the email he referred to, which I believe is on ROA ten eighteen, what it says is. Um BLM was t- was temporarily postponing um, in April. It hadn't made a decision at that point not to hold it within the second quarter at all, as it considered how to implement the executive order. So if anything, that makes clear that BLM had made, as they've said, BLM had made those, no decisions at that point about how to implement the executive order, which makes further clear, in addition to the detailed reasons for the first quarter comp- postponements, that those were based on NEPA concerns, not the executive order. Um, on the five-year program, um, just, just to be clear, I mean, even uh, Judge Doty, uh, plaintiffs in, uh, in in motions practice to seek supplementation of the record on various topics, which Judge Doty granted. He uh, he denied supplementation as to the next five-year program. There's separate litigation on that um, in the Western District of Louisiana. But Judge Doty even recognized that's just not part of this this case. Um, lastly, I just I just want to emphasize that. Um, that um, you know, Judge Dennis, you referenced um, a, a discrete legal duty that the Department of the Interior violated. I think that's exactly the right framing, and there was no fr- and, and there was no violation. the uh, The executive order itself, as we've said, is 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 plainly lawful, but um, the first quarter sales were plainly deferred for uh, for for permissible reasons. And the postponements uh, of the two OXLA sales, Mr. St. John says I'm relying on facts not in the record. I didn't mean to do that. I think it's a matter of public record that every five-year program has resulted in significantly more um, sales scheduled than held. And it's also a matter of public record that there were, I think, no that, that, that the Department of Interior never followed complex program-like procedures to effectuate those cancellations. That requires, among other things, submission of, um, of uh, a plan as would a significant revision. If it was a, uh, to Congress, the Department of the Interior has never considered, um, has never considered even an individual lease sale cancellation, um, let alone a postponement like, like occurred here, to be a significant revision, and to hold otherwise would we think be contrary to decades of history and be utterly impractical. So in terms of what we think the case is about, uh, we think the case is about the executive order, which is, even if
2: reviewable, is plainly Essentially, well. you're saying that if you looked at the pattern of, of uh, activity of cancellations and processes uh, before and after uh, the executive order, you're going to see the same pattern. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor, could you... Uh, if you uh, looked at please? the pattern of the, of the activity of, of leasing uh, before and after the order that, uh, of the district, uh, before and after the order here, it's an issue of the administration, uh, you'll see the same pattern. I don't
1: know if I'm um, saying you'll see the same pattern, but what I'm saying is that... Um, I mean, we acknowledge that we acknowledge. Just to be
2: perfectly clear about this, as it, we were expressed about this, that least self. T- well, are we going to see something? There's not a pattern, and you're suggesting then that that the, the pause then has changed the the, the 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 process of. I thought you were arguing that inherent in the process. Was, it will be some reexaminations, some cancellations, uh, some delays, etc. Well, no, the the, the, the
1: the executive order itself does not speak to how it will be implemented. We did uh, we did apply the executive order to lease sales two hundred and fifty seven and two hundred and fifty eight. We've we've never denied that. And the uh, the onshore first quarter onshore lease sales were deferred for unrelated reasons, and uh, the, the district court enjoined the executive but, order. Uh, Our point uh, is that a the ad-
2: question more directly the the uh, f- question of what effect has the as the executive order had on the, the administration of the of, this, of the leasing plans?
1: Well, the executive order was the executive order was enjoined in, uh, in June of last year, so we have not. Uh, so we we obviously been complying with the injunction, not been considering the executive well, order.
2: You know, that, you, that got cut. You got cut short of short of finding out what but I guess. Right, I'm not here to say what
1: would have happened if the injunction hadn't been issued. My point is that the district court, um, my point is that the executive order is lawful and the district court did not identify any unlawful action implementing the executive order. So for that reason, we would ask that the injunction be vacated. Um, There are no further questions.
2: I think we have your argument,
0: as Okay, thank you very much. All right, that case will be, that's the only, that's the final case to be already argued. We'll uh, take that case under advisement with the other cases.